Uh, we're going to look at Psalm 63, and I'm going to be quick because we're going to get back to worship. Um, Psalm 63, it'll be up on the screens uh, as we decided to, to talk about, um, to talk uh, or to do a worship night. Um, I, I, as I thought about something that I could just briefly speak on, I thought immediately of Psalms. And if you don't know what Psalms is, Psalms is a, uh, a series of poems and songs and, and thoughts of mostly of King David, but also of some other um, people of that time in Israel. And, and, and it's all like real life, raw emotion Shout it out to God. It's, it's anger, it's sadness, it's joy, it's happiness. It's, it's feeling like you're in an impossible situation to feeling like you're on the top of the world. And so um, Psalm is like, is like basically just a book of worship. And so as we're doing a worship night, I wanted to look at Psalm. And, and this particular one, Psalm 63, is written by King David. And uh, he's not in a really good situation. A couple of weeks ago, we actually talked about the, the situation that he was in. But when he writes this, he, uh, he is the king of Israel, but not really anymore because he has a son, his own little baby boy who he raised up, and his name was Absalom. And Absalom has taken over the kingdom. Absalom has knocked David off the throne. David has actually had to take his little group and run and escape from the palace. And now he is on the run. He is in the desert physically and spiritually and emotionally. His world is falling apart. Maybe you felt that way before, like your world is falling apart. His kingdom had fallen apart. His family had fallen apart. Everything was wrong for King David. And he writes this psalm in the moment of maybe the worst time of his life. Maybe the the most uh, wretched time of his life, this psalm is written. And I think you'll be maybe a little bit surprised to hear what it says. But what he does is he does a few different things. He spends a few verses talking about the present, what what he's going to do right then to seek God. Even, even in the desert, even with what's going on, he talks about the present. He talks about the past. He talks about how he's seen uh, what God has done and how amazing God is. And then he also looks to- forward to the future. He looks uh, anticipating God's kingdom and anticipating God's rule. And I could think of no greater psalm to look at tonight as we look back on the 2016 and 17 year and as we look forward to what's to come uh, to read and to look at as we talk together. And in the past year, you guys saw it on the video. I don't really have to spend much time on it. We've seen hundreds and hundreds, well over 200, maybe close to 300 new students walk through these doors this year. That's middle schoolers and high schoolers that come for the very first time. Right. That's amazing. And that doesn't happen because of social media. That doesn't happen because of how great our band is or because of some great sermon. It happens because you guys invite. In fact, maybe you invited some guys or some girls or guys here tonight, and it's their first time. We've had hundreds of first-time students. We've had about 80 decisions for Jesus this year. You know all those people? You know all those people that were on the signs holding a forgiven and love sign? Those people had either committed or recommitted their life to Christ just in this school year. And just so you know, a lot of churches get maybe one salvation a year. And our student ministry, not our church, not our church, our student ministry had 80, 80. Do you, do you know how amazing that is? Like it's, it's an incredible incredible thing. We had 38 baptisms in the past year alone. You saw a few of them there. It was the biggest and best Epworth we've ever had, and it's going to keep on getting better and better because we just, we just know that God's going to continue to work in that place. So next fall, you want, you want to be there. If you are not a senior right now, if you are anything else, you want to be there next November uh, for Epworth. And guys, God is moving. If we look to the past, we can see Maybe not revival yet, but we can see the rumblings of revival. We can see it coming, and it's so amazing. But we're also excited about the future. 
So we can look back at the past and be like, oh, that's amazing. But we're excited about the future. We've got four trips coming up this summer. We've got camp. We've got Albany that's over full. We've got Jamaica that's full. We've got more kids than we had last year, and we have, are going to have all our spots full for camp. We've got a couple left. We're going to have all our spots full for, for Jacks. We have a few left, and, and we have more. We're taking more than ever to Jacks, and I'm so excited about um, what God is going to do in this community as we serve and tell people about Jesus in our own community. So I know that those of you, some of you have like countdowns towards Albany or Jamaica on your phones. And it tells you every single day, like only 38 days till Jamaica or whatever it is. And so um, we are anticipating the future, aren't we? We're anticipating the things that are coming up. We're already anticipating Epworth 17. We're anticipating seeing new and more students coming into the life of this student ministry. So much so that we are going to have to make changes to get all of them in here. As you can see, this room is full and we really can't fit any more. We could, we could maybe fit a few more if we got some more chairs or something, but there's really not much place to grow. And so next, next fall, you might see some nights where we have two United services. And, and, and I know what the first thing is. Well, why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? I want, I want you to think about something. Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. But why did he climb up in a tree? Does anybody know? To see Jesus, but why did he have to go into a tree? Because there were too many people. And sometimes, sometimes, listen, 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 sometimes it's so important. Sometimes Christians, Christians that are trying to see Jesus can accidentally get in the way of people that want to see Jesus. Not because we're doing anything wrong, but because as we just like are running towards Jesus, maybe, maybe other people are trying to get in, they don't have room. So next year we're going to do some things that are different to open up more space for students to come hear about Jesus because we don't want to get in the way of more and more students coming to know Jesus. We, we, we talk about the future. We're talking about revival. We've been praying for it for two years and we're going to continue to pray for it. It's not going to stop. <clears throat> we're so excited about what God's going to do in our city and our student ministry and our church. And, and, and to be honest, <clears throat> when we heard that word for revival in Jamaica two years ago, the feeling on my heart was not that Beach was going to be some leader in revival, but that revival had to happen here before it happened in the city. That was just kind of what God put on my heart. And so we have got to, to, to pray and lean into God to see revival in this student ministry and in this church and eventually in our city. But sometimes we get stuck looking in the past or we get stuck looking in the future. We either say, well, those are the good old days. Like, it's never going to be that good again. No, it's never going to be as good as Epworth 16. Or we get stuck looking in the future like, man, I can't wait till Jamaica. I can't wait till next Epworth. I can't wait till Albany or Camp or, or, or Jax. I can't wait till next fall when we start life groups again. And sometimes we get stuck <clears throat> in kind of no man's land because all we can do is focus on the future and the past. But David talks about something in Psalm 63, and we're going to read it, that is very vital to our walk with Jesus. And here's the thing, if we don't do what David talks about in the present, we will never see the past again and we will never see the future that we hope for, okay? Does that make sense? If we do not spend time right now where we are each day throughout this summer, even when we don't have United in life groups, if we don't spend time with God, <clears throat> we're not gonna see 2016-17 again and it's gonna be the best that it's ever been. And it's just never going to get that good again. Or we're going we're gonna to never see those hopes realized. And so what do we need to do right now? David gives us the key. Here's what he says. You, God, are my God. Remember, he's in the desert and his son's trying to kill him. 
He has lost everything. And he says, you God are my God. Not someone else's God, you're my God. Earnestly, I seek you. In other translations, it says, early, I seek you. It's not really talking about time. It's talking about, I put you before other things. Before I go to the video games, before I go to my friends, before I go to food, before I go to the gym, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. <clears throat> and this isn't talking about like you're sitting in a room and you're like, oh, I just have a little, little, little glass of water next to me. Like you've all, most of you have played sports. Most of you have been on like hikes where you have no more water left. And you're like, you don't get any more water until you go back to the car. And you are like, you're just thirsting. Like your whole body wants water. And it's like, oh my gosh, I have to have it. And you could be sitting in your house all day and it's just like, oh, it's just water. But when you need it, and you thirst after it, it is everything to you. And that's how he feels about God. Verse two, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. Listen to that. God, your love is better than my life. It's better than being king. It's better than sex. It's better than drugs. It's better than popularity. It's better than social media likes. It's better than anything. Your love is better than life. And because of that, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you for as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Now, now, now I want to stop there for a second because a lot of times I know, I know what we think. We think, well, 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 Hillsong United invited, er, invented raising your hands. Jesus culture invented raising your hands. Chris Tomlin invented that. That's a new thing. That's a recent thing. That's just since we had like Instagram and we show like the pictures of the people raising their hands and all that kind of stuff. And it looks amazing. But David was talking about it thousands of years ago. And here's what he was referring to. In the Old Testament, there was a posture of prayer that the Jewish people would take. And it was on their knees with their hands held high above their head. And this is what they were saying. Our prayers are rising to you. Our prayers are rising to you. And we are ready for the gifts and the generosity of God to come down upon us. We are waiting with our arms open wide for the gifts of God. And so it is a posture of prayer and it's not something new. It's not something United or Beach invented. It is a posture of prayer that came from before David was even alive. And he says, in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing my lips, with singing lips, my mouth will sing or my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. We've all had that boyfriend or girlfriend or that person that we love or we like or we think we love and we can't stop thinking about them. Why? Because we have focused all our energy and emotions on them. Until we go to bed and, and, and I've done it too and most of you have done it. You just sit there and all you can do is think about their face and think about like when they kind of waved at you and you were like, oh, they must like me. We're going to get married. This is going to be amazing. I can already see our children and our honeymoon and the house that we're going to live in and it's great. And maybe they just we're looking past you and you thought they were looking at you and it wasn't even something, but we, we sit on our bed and we think about boys and girls and David's saying, man, I think about you, God. And that didn't just happen. It happened because he spent time with God, that he, he focused on God. <clears throat> and he says, because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. And here's the last verse. And this is what I really wanna focus on. I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. So what I want to challenge us to do in the present, if we want to see the past again, and if we want to see the future in the present, we must cling to God. Everybody say cling to God. So everybody say cling to God. See, we think of clinginess as a bad thing, don't we? Because what do we think of when we think of clinging? A boyfriend or a girlfriend, right? And you hear all the boys or the girls say, man, I broke up with them because they were just so 
clingy. Oh my gosh, they always wanted to hang out with me. Imagine it. Imagine they liked me so much that they actually wanted to spend time with me. Oh gosh, it is so stressful. Oh, relationships. I don't want them. I don't want them. And we, we say they were, too, they were too clingy. And we look at clingy as a bad thing. I want us to kind of rearrange our minds around this idea of clinginess because we need to cling to God. I want you to think about the difference between when someone throws you a life preserver, but you're a swimmer and you can stand in the pool. And what do you do? You use it as a kickboard. You throw it to your friends. You kind of, kind of hold on to it. You kind of sit on it, maybe sip on a drink or whatever, but it's just a luxury. It's just there. You're not clinging to it. But imagine you're tossed off a boat in the middle of the night in a storm in the ocean and the boat's going away and all of a sudden something crosses over the moonlight and it's a life preserver tied to a rope, tied to the boat and it's right next to you. That, that is what it means to cling. You would hold on to that life preserver like nothing else and that is how we must cling to God. In the good, we got to cling to God. In the bad, we got to cling to God. In June and July, we got to cling to God. When school's not going on and it's summer, we got to cling to God. When we don't get what we want, guess what we got to do? We got to cling to God. When a boyfriend breaks up with us, we got to cling to God. When we don't, uh, when we get in a fight with our parents, we got to cling to God. When you get home tonight and you get mad at your parents, you got to cling to God. When you do the wrong thing, you got to cling to God. When you go to summer, uh, when you go to summer school, you got to cling to God. When you go to college, you got to cling to God. When you go to work, you got to cling to God. When you wake up early and you're tired and you're impatient, you got to cling to God. You have to cling to God day in and day out. And if we do not cling to God this summer, if as individuals and as a group we do not cling to God, listen to me. We are never going to experience more than we just experienced this past year. We're never going to see the future. And if we want to see revival in this city, if we want to see revival in our hearts and in our friends' life and in our parents' life, and we've been praying for them like crazy to come to know Jesus, we have got to cling to God ourselves because he is our only hope. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do, and we're going we're to get back to worship. I'm going I'm to ask you to get in the Old Testament posture of prayer, and we're going to get on our knees. We're going to put our hands up in the sky. So you can get on your knees and put your hands up in the sky. And I'm going to pray over this room that we would cling to God. And it's not going to be a long prayer, so lift up your hands. You can do it quietly. You can do it quietly. Lift up your hands on your knees. And we're doing what people thousands of years ago did to the same God that we serve right now. The same God we're worshiping was worshiped thousands and thousands of years ago in this same position. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would cling to you. We're no good alone. We're not good enough. We can't try hard enough. Lord, if we want to see revival, if we want to see something greater than 2016-17, if we want to see the best you have for us, Lord, we must cling to you. Let us not cling to you or just hold on to you like you're a luxury, but let us cling to you like you are our only hope. Tomorrow when we wake up, Lord, I pray that we would cling to you. Tomorrow night when we get on our beds, I pray that we will cling to you. When we talk to our friends, that we will cling to you. When, when we get bad news or good news, that we will cling to you, Lord. Be our only hope. You are the only one that can stand under the weight of our worship. We need you, Lord. And as we leave life groups, as we leave United this summer, Lord, I pray that we would cling to the only one that gives life, the only one that can be our lifeline. It's in your name we pray.